My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. subjected to strip search, to violence, to unmet needs for contraception, for abortion, for perinatal care, to violent births, denied access to their children after they're born. You can't have all these things and have reproductive rights in a country. So prison as a system is the next real realm of reproductive rights activism. That's the voice of Martha Painter. She and Frederic Chabot are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Martha Painter is a registered nurse who practices in the area of abortion and reproductive health in unceded Mi'kmaq territory in what's colonially known as Nova Scotia. She's also a researcher and activist, and the founder of an organization called Wellness Within, which works for reproductive justice, health equity, and prison abolition. Fred Chabot lives in unceded Algonquin territory in Ottawa, and is currently the director of health promotion at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. Action Canada engages in public education, health promotion, service provision, and policy advocacy related to sexual and reproductive health and rights in Canada and globally. The occasion of today's interview is Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week, or SRH Week, a campaign from Action Canada that each year focuses on a topic related to sexual health and offers events and resources on that topic to the general public, to healthcare providers, and to other audiences. This year's SRH Week runs from February 14th to 18th, and its theme will be Advocacy in Action. Whatever sexual and reproductive rights that we enjoy in Canada today owe a lot to a wide range of advocacy, activism, and organizing over the last century. Moreover, advocacy is just as relevant to our sexual and reproductive health, given how profoundly health is shaped by experiences of oppression, injustice, and other social and institutional factors. Many struggles related to sexual and reproductive health and rights that are ongoing today have to do with the exclusion of variously oppressed and exploited people from the rights and services that more privileged people can take for granted. So, for instance, black, indigenous, and racialized people tend to have worse experiences and worse outcomes when it comes to reproductive health care. Or take abortion care. It's completely decriminalized in Canada, but services are not uniformly available, particularly in remote, rural, and northern areas. And the expense of accessing services can be a significant barrier for pregnant people who are poor, and at all of those intersections that make poverty more likely. Similarly, things like the lack of a national pharmacare program and inadequate social assistance and other forms of social support also put barriers in the way of people exercising their sexual and reproductive rights. Chabot and Painter argue that it is particularly important to center conversations about sexual and reproductive rights advocacy in groups that Chabot describes as, quote, people who are discarded, end quote. That is, groups so dehumanized that they're largely excluded from even basic sexual and reproductive rights and healthcare. Even when they're not in geographically isolated areas, for example, undocumented people in Canada cannot access most aspects of the public health care system, including abortion care, and often live in extreme poverty, so have little capacity to access the other options that money makes possible. 
One of the many elements of Action Canada's work is maintaining a fund to support people in this country who are otherwise unable to access abortion care, and Chabot estimates that about a third of the people who access it each year are undocumented. In this way and others, reproductive justice and migrant justice go hand in hand. Painter and Wellness Within work with another group of quote-unquote discarded people, prisoners. They provide doula services to pregnant people who are incarcerated. They do related educational work in health professional schools, with the public, and inside jails. They do research, and they do a lot of advocacy. The fact that they receive no funding beyond the occasional small project grant makes their work difficult in lots of ways. But it does allow for what Painter describes as ferocious independence in speaking up against the injustices that prisoners face and for prison abolition. They see providing doula services in jails as itself a way of preventing some of the violence that pregnant people regularly face in prison. As well, they're focused on challenging mainstream pro-choice advocates and health professionals to take up abolitionist politics. Painter said, quote, doesn't matter how liberal the laws are about abortion, you can't have reproductive rights in this country if you have prisons." End quote. I speak with Painter and Chabot about advocacy related to sexual and reproductive rights, and about SRH Week 2022. I'm Frédéric Chabot, I'm the director of the health promotion team at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm located in Ottawa, which is on unceded Algonquin territory. I have been working in the field of sexual and reproductive health and rights for over 15 years. I moved to Ottawa to study for a master's on the intersection of sex work and citizenship. And at the same time, I was living with friends who were starting an advocacy group here in Ottawa, a buy-in for group for sex workers fighting for the decriminalization of sex work and for safe and dignified work here in our city. So I started working with them, doing some research with some of the members and some university professors. That was my launch into about 10 years of advocacy, both at the local level here in Ottawa and at the national level. And then parallel to that, I was also working at the AIDS Committee of Ottawa. I was working in the outreach program, so in the needle exchange program and the jail outreach program for women, working on HIV prevention and community building. And so that was how I started working in sexual rights at the intersection of so many human rights struggles. My name is Martha Painter. Pronouns are she and her. I'm located in Halifax on unceded ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. I am a registered nurse and I practice in abortion and other reproductive health areas. And I run a research program that looks at the intersection between reproductive health and the criminal justice system. I have been in this field for over 20 years. I think my formal engagement started when I was also a master's student in 2002 at the Atlantic Center of Excellence for Women's Health here in Halifax. How I got into the, what I'm doing now started with work just being an escort at the abortion clinic in Fredericton. We'd show up and wear our aprons and make sure people got into the clinic safely. In 2009, I moved to Halifax. And when I got to Halifax, I realized that the clinic here, really, there wasn't the same danger at all. So it really wasn't the same need. So instead, I got into birth doula work as my volunteer work. I was still working professionally in health research and policy and so forth. 
Here in Halifax, we have one of the only volunteer doula programs that has hospital privileges in the world. The program prioritizes people who are experiencing poverty and other systems of oppression here in Halifax to have volunteer accompaniment for their prenatal labor and birth and postpartum care. And it was with this crew that we responded in 2012 to Julie Belota's experience giving birth unattended and really tortured in solitary confinement at the Ottawa Carlton Detention Centre. We realized that we really didn't know what was going on in our local jail or the federal prison that's in Nova Scotia or the youth facility that's about an hour outside of town. And so that was the beginning of the work trying to get clearance to attend to people, to be a companion to people experiencing pregnancy or postpartum while incarcerated. And in doing that work, we came to realize, wow, there's a lot of problems here. Serious rights violations, a need for incredible advocacy, absolutely no information about what these people endure. And really a lot of misinformation. So a, a lot of work needed to be done to address information gaps, education gaps about these people who experience so much harm in a taxpayer funded system. So that is how we came to create Wellness Within, an organization for health and justice that has this kind of four pronged mandate to provide doula service in those three facilities. We did eventually get clearance at all those facilities. And we do a ton of education in health professional schools with the public and, of course, inside the jail. And we have a really active advocacy practice. And we've been doing more and more research starting in, in about 2018. And along the way, I became a nurse. I was trained originally as an economist. And I became a nurse and do abortion care and teach abortion care in the Faculty of Health at Dalhousie University. Frederic, why don't you tell listeners a bit more about Action Canada and its work and about SRH Week? Action Canada came to be after the 2014 amalgamation of three organizations with over 50 years of history in the field of sexual health and rights. These organizations were the Canadian Federation for Sexual Health, which was also known as the Planned Parenthood Federation of Canada, Action Canada for Population and Development, which has been active at the Human Rights Council in Geneva since 2012, and Canadians for Choice. And because of this amalgamation, Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights works at three distinct levels. So we do have an office in Ottawa, and we are a membership-based organization with a network of 25 associates who are community-based sexual health centers from across the country. And with them, we do some regional work. At the national level, we are a voice for sexual and reproductive health and rights. And among other things, we work towards law and policy change. We also have a health promotion program to provide accurate sexual health information to the public and connect people to services like a toll-free 24-hour phone line for people needing support around pregnancy options. And then at the international level, we work with partners across the global south and north to advance sexual and reproductive health and rights globally. And then every year we host SRH Week. It's an important part of our health promotion work. It's a yearly campaign that allows us to build and offer resources for diverse audiences on different topics related to sexual health. Our existing campaign website offers year-round information touching on a variety of topics such as contraceptions, STBBI, testing, HPV vaccines, pregnancy options, healthy relationships, safer sex tips, etc. 
but every year we pick a topic that we think is important to bring forward for people to discuss in regards to sexual and reproductive health and rights. This year, our theme is advocacy in action. Our goal with this year's theme is to build on the annual opportunity this week offers us to get everyone talking about the importance of advocating for change to achieve the best sexual and reproductive health outcomes. Sexual health is a key part of our overall health, but despite its importance, those health outcomes are often impacted by sexism, gender inequality, racism, and other structural forces. Stigma and taboos around sex, pleasure, abortion, or adolescent sexuality, among other things, mean that sexual health and reproductive health are often seen or treated as problematic or improper or are not even part of the conversation. So seeing that a lot of those issues are often ignored, neglected, or actively written out of medical schools curricula, health institutions, or government policies, we really wanted to talk about what change makers throughout history and today have made in terms of ensuring that people have access to the services they need, have their rights respected, and what work is left to do, and how to call people to understand how they can participate to getting sexual and reproductive health on the agenda and making it that people have what they need to live their lives as healthily as possible and thrive and see their rights respected. And Martha, go into a bit more detail about the work of Wellness Within, particularly its advocacy. Wellness Within has no budget. We operate as a volunteer organization. We occasionally get some money for a contract role here or there, but we are a working board volunteer operation. And the reason for that is because we need that ferocious independence to be able to say the things that need to be said and not to have our hands tied. And it's not unproblematic. It's hard to ask, for instance, people to be a doula for 40, 60 hours of their life for a single client. These clients are incredibly complex, but that's the way we do it. And as a result, we have been able to say things that are really challenging the conversation and that are pushing those places where we still need to go. So for instance, here in Nova Scotia, we were the major voice saying birth alerts are super unjust. That's the practice of removing a baby literally from the parent's chest when they are born. And of course, because of racism and colonialism in these systems, this experience is disproportionately borne by Black and Indigenous people. So they're racist, and they're violent, they're traumatizing, and they've got to go. And we kept hammering at that until finally the government here in Nova Scotia decided to make a change. So those kind of things that somebody has to say that what the government is doing is outrageous and unacceptable. And it's very difficult to do that if you're dependent on funding. And a lot of the work I do, especially from the abortion front, is trying to empower people so that they know the rights they already have, are sharing information that already exists, are doing care they're completely allowed, as it were, to do, and maximizing what people have already fought so hard for, maximizing the use of that space that was created by the people that came before. 
beyond like the usual, you know, requesting meetings with the minister and letters and petitions and demos and those kind of things. I think a really important and practical way that we do advocacy is by being very public about how we model a different way. So, for instance, doula practice, we think back to Julie, and the idea here is that if someone is with you, if someone is bearing witness, being present, then that same level of violence that Julie Belota experienced wouldn't happen, right? This is the philosophy behind having doula companionship. Obviously, doula companionship is associated with decreased interventions and improved patient satisfaction. But in this particular context, the idea is to prevent violence. So you're interfering with these systems with your body, with your labors. So that's one way. And then again, with the education, for instance, making sure that people inside have access to knowledge that they're completely entitled to, but are restricted from because of a ban on internet access, on cell phones, extremely expensive phone access. So we go in and make sure that they have those tools. What are the challenges to drawing these connections between reproductive and sexual health and prisoner justice or prison abolition struggles for broader publics? When the Julie experience happened and you've been an abortion advocate for years and then you realize this is the exact same, denying this person a decent birth is a fundamental violation of her autonomy and of her human rights. So what I'm trying to do in a lot of different aspects of work is convince people who are definitely convinced about abortion rights that prisons are where we need to focus our efforts. It doesn't matter how liberal the laws are about abortion. You can't have reproductive rights in this country if you have prisons. Prisons where people are subjected to strip search, to violence, to unmet needs for contraception, for abortion, for perinatal care, to violent births, denied access to their children after they're born. You can't have all these things and have reproductive rights in a country. So prison as a system, and of course this system intersects with the child protection system, that is the next real realm of reproductive rights activism that we need to get not just activists working on, but like my clinical colleagues, I want OBGYNs to be calling for abolition. All my nurse colleagues, 400,000 nurses in this country. There's a ton of political power that could be mobilized to abolition if there was a broader understanding and vision that saw these things as so profoundly connected. Because when you see what's going on in prisons, then you see just how cleanly they are connected. When Julie Bilotta's story hit the news cycle, I could see the comments of people how her story was being rejected as one of injustice because she was in prison. So the fact of her criminalization, basically she was seen as not deserving of human rights protection or any protection at all because she had quote unquote committed a crime. So the punishment here was not just jail time, which regardless if we agree or not as a society right now, that's what we think the punishment is for crime or should be. Although I align with Martha in terms of my own personal views, 
But the public is in a place where it seems like if you go to jail or you're criminalized, the punishment is actually losing your entire humanity and the protection to all of protection. So I'm with Martha in terms of what role advocacy should play in a situation like this. So I also see prison abolition and work on reproductive and sexual health care in prison as a frontier for reproductive and sexual rights activists. I see the same for other people who are discarded, so undocumented migrants, for example, who also can't access the care that they are entitled to, have a right to, because of their immigration status. And then where similarly people say, well, you just, you should have thought of it before, like, don't come here and then you'll be fine. Like, you'll get the care that you need elsewhere, but just not here because you've quote unquote committed a crime. So there's so much work in terms of continuing to expand access to sexual and reproductive health care. And if we think that we have achieved everything with just access to abortion, then we're failing to see that there's still a lot of people that are not accessing that care. And like Martha, definitely one of the public that I think can make such a difference here are healthcare providers and social service providers, because in many cases, being loyal to institutions or rules or policies, as opposed to looking at the larger picture of who's being impacted, who has access to services, has led to such discrimination. And over history, you know, if we had just kept to, well, this is the rule and this is the policy, we wouldn't have abortion care, we wouldn't have contraception. We wouldn't have gender-affirming surgeries. We wouldn't have midwifery care. There's a lot of sexual and reproductive health care that came because we stopped being loyal to policies that were unjust and we fought for change. What other advocacy work does Action Canada do when it comes to the sexual and reproductive rights of prisoners, undocumented people, and others who are, as you say, discarded by dominant systems? Action Canada tries to take an expansive view of what it means to see reproductive justice happen in Canada and globally. What we do is aligning ourselves with struggles that are led by people who are experiencing those struggles. And then we are also, of course, informed by our own frontline work. Action Canada runs the Access Line program, which is a phone line that people call when they're experiencing barriers to reproductive or sexual health care, and particularly abortion. That's the one we get the most calls about. And so we talk to thousands of people a year, and this work is also tied to a fund for people who otherwise would be unable to access abortion care if they couldn't access logistical and financial support. So this means we have an intimate view of who is facing barriers to abortion in a country where abortion is completely decriminalized and is offered pretty readily in many areas of the country. And so that deeply informs the solidarity we build with other organizations and the work that we do ourselves to advocate with the government, with decision makers, with institutions. For our abortion fund, close to a third of the people we support are undocumented. So those are people who, if there wasn't support to pay for procedure costs or travel, or if there wasn't the ability to connect with a network of healthcare providers who basically create this kind of back-end way for people to access services, people would be left with nowhere to go. We work with partners to ensure that some procedure fees can be waived and other fees can be covered by us and people can be seen by the right doctors and nurses. 
We also have developed networks of healthcare providers who will see undocumented folks if there is no possibility for them, for example, to travel to the United States to access care at a later time in their pregnancy, which is what a lot of people in Canada have to do when they go beyond a certain gestational time. And this is not something that's possible for someone who doesn't have a passport and is undocumented. And so it has meant advocating with hospitals and institutions for them to allow those services to take place within their walls, which has been quite a battle. And then we follow the lead of organizations like the Migrant Worker Center and the Migrant Rights Alliance and other organizations that fight every single day for status for all in Canada. Because if we believe in reproductive rights, we have to fight for things like status for all so people can have access to health care, or we have to fight for prison abolition, and we have to fight for the decriminalization of sex work and other things that stand in the way of people being able to access health care. What are the key priorities and concrete advocacy goals your organizations are going to be working on in, say, the next few years? What Action Canada is mainly focused on, not meaning that this is the only areas that are prioritized, but where we play more of a leadership role is continuing to fight for abortion access. Of course, there's so many angles to that. There's working with housing activists and migrant rights activists and prison abolition activists to continue to advance those rights. And then the very practical work of continuing to exercise our national abortion fund and making sure that people don't see themselves stranded with no services they can access because they don't have $200 in their bank account. We would love to see coverage for contraceptives across the country, universal cost coverage. We have universal health care, but we don't have a universal pharmacare strategy. And that leaves a lot of people behind in terms of important medication or devices that they need for managing their sexual and reproductive health. We are in the courts to continue to fight anti-choice activity, which has a huge public health impact. And we are also entering the fray for the next constitutional challenge for the decriminalization of sex work. And then continuing to talk about the importance of advocacy and the funding of advocacy work and a robust civil society. We want to see strong human rights advocacy work being done. We want to see strong feminist organizing. And so we're focusing on that. From the perspective of Wellness Within, I really affirm the call for pharmacare. It's ludicrous that we have publicly funded abortion across this country and not publicly funded contraception. We, of course, have long called for genuine and complete decriminalization of sex work, as well as use of substances, period. These are the two areas where criminalization intersects so strongly with gender. And of course, Wellness Within calls continuously for the end of incarceration of pregnant people and caregivers to children and people with disabilities. So divesting from the prison system and investing in supportive housing and those basics of income equality, food security, the basics are real priorities for us to simply reimagine where we could be putting our public energies and funds in supportive and empowering directions instead of systems of punishment and control.
You have been listening to my interview with Martha Painter of Wellness Within and Frédéric Chabot of Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. To learn more about Wellness Within, go to wellnesswithinns.org, and to learn more about Action Canada, go to actioncanadashr.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.